Hi everyone and welcome to Creativity Sucks, a podcast from Creative Review magazine which looks at life in the design and advertising industries. I'm Eliza Williams, CR's editor, and I'll be your host for this show. For this episode, we're going to discuss how to nurture advertising and design teams and discuss what makes a good creative leader today and how this role may have changed in recent years. To do this, I've gathered together three brilliant guests from the industry. They are Richard Holman, who previously ran his own creative agency and is now a creative coach and author of the book, Creative Demons and How to Slay Them. Rani Patel, who is co-founder and managing director of Calling, an ad agency based in London. And Sarah Watson, who was formerly chairman at BBH New York and is now an executive coach based in New York City. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thanks for being here. To kick us off, I thought it would just be helpful if you could each just talk a little bit about your experience in the industry and explain just in broad terms what the typical agency structure tends to look like. For example, is the leadership usually quite hierarchical and how much do sort of different departments, so like strategy, creative, accounts, etc., how close are they in your experience? Uh, Rani, as someone who's recently set up your own agency, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? Yeah, so from my experience in the industry, uh, leadership is kind of um, set up where you have a CEO or managing director who looks after kind of like the business side of things, um, a creative, executive creative um, director, and then a strategy director. And those three tend to work super close because they kind of speak to the three parts of servicing a brand. And then you have some other sort of leadership members, whether it's like an FD, um, maybe there's some sort of like operations director. But depending on the size of the agency, I've worked at agencies where it's been super hierarchical and there's been layers upon layers that sit under that. And that in itself comes with its own sort of dynamics and, and pros and cons. And then I've worked at smaller independents and helped run those where it's a lot more flatter and, you know, speaking and working with leadership has, has been a lot more succinct. I think coming to launch calling, um, what was a bit unique about our setup is we didn't have um, all three parts of that. It was actually just Josh and I. Josh is our creative director and I'm the MD. The sort of strategy um, side of things, we've been working with a, a consulting partner and we've we've been growing um, with a number of team members underneath us, but we're super new, we're, we're 10 months old. And I think something that Josh and I are super cognizant of, and it's a sort of like philosophy we have, which is that, yes, we're the leaders and we have a center of gravity and our responsibility and so does everyone else, but everyone is important and no one is more important. And that's something of how we lead and it, we're kind of set up in a communitarian way. So everyone is invited to be part of shaping the business and the work in in some way okay and is that would you say that that's relatively unusual that kind of I mean obviously you're small so there's an element where that's kind of easier to do when you're smaller but is that in your kind of previous experience before doing calling is was that were you less likely to come across that kind of setup yeah a hundred percent and it's kind of been a result of our own lived experiences in Adland that we've designed the business intentionally to be a, a collective. We talk about being a collective and what what that means is that we actually believe in like a communal way of working. 
So everyone is responsible, uh, has a shared responsibility on solving the problems and no one is limited by their job titles. What we find in typical traditional ad agencies and ad agencies of yesterday essentially is that those different departments comes with division and with that comes um, a lack of like togetherness and that comes with a myriad of I guess issues that you know we can go on to unpack I'm sure later on but when we think about like nurturing developing teams um, it, it can be quite problematic and unhealthy. Yes okay you've given us a brilliant start here where there's loads of things we can already get stuck into but um, before we do Sarah, how much of, of what Rani said sounds familiar to you? Well, w- what came up for me as Rani was speaking is that, uh, and it's so interesting given that, you know, obviously she's starting an agency and having to really take on these questions. Because I think in a way, how you structure this, whose voice is allowed into the creative conversation is your agency. I mean, really, in a way, this is where the philosophy of the agency most comes to bear. And so, yeah, so I was like long, long time at um, BBH in both London and New York. I will declare in all of this, I'm a strategist, not a creative. I feel like I'm a little bit of an imposter here, but (laughs) these days I do work with chief creative officers and I work with senior creatives and and I work with agency leaders. So I get a real um, perspective, deep perspective into all of this. But you know, the characteristic of BBH was, it. you know, BB&H is a planner, account man and a creative. And so the whole thing was founded that these three voices have a equal input into the work. Um, and so, you know, that, that really is the structure that I grew up in. In theory, you have these voices with equal weight, but ultimately we're having a creative conversation here about creative agencies, about how creative work gets done. And so there has to be preeminent creative leadership in all of that. So just quickly then to answer your question about hierarchy, I mean, necessarily there has to be a throat to choke at the center of this, someone who does, or some some very tight group that has absolutely primary responsibility for the work. And then ideally you have lots of voices inputting into that. But how you manage that is really what your agency is, is the flavor of your agency. And I, I love that. Rani, um, you know, is pointing to that. Yeah, so this is where culture comes from, I guess, right? From that, yeah. So, Richard, I guess you can speak from two perspectives, one from having run your own business, your own agency, but also now that you're going into lots of agencies and talking to people about the challenges they have, how much does what Rani and Sarah say resonate with you? Yeah, it, I, it, quite a bit. I, and I, I think it's interesting that, you know, Sarah came from that quite traditional background and, and, and Rani is, um, is setting something up just now um, in, a, in, a, in a different way to, to the way that maybe agencies worked in the past. I, I had worked at the BBC before, um, before I set up uh, my agency. And so I didn't really have a, a traditional background and I, I was kind of making it up as I went along, which... Um, <laughs> Had pros and cons, um, I think, um, and and but naturally, one of the things we fell into was um, was an approach that was kind of less siloed, I guess you'd say. You know, um, it 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 felt more collective and fluid. And as the creative director, I would deliberately mix teams up and mix disciplines up because I 
I found that was the most um, fruitful way of, of, of making original work. Um, and that was something that I really enjoyed doing that, that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do in a, in a larger or, or more traditional setup. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like that. Uh, when, when are we talking here? What, what period of time? It was just at the end of the 90s that we began and, um, and then it was the next sort of 13, 14 years. Yeah, because that feels quite almost the way people might talk about things now, whereas was that unusual at that time? I think it was fairly unusual, but as I say, you know, I, I was, you know, I was quite young, uh, uh, quite gung ho, um, and I, I didn't really know what I was doing. So um, I, it was more born out of necessity, you know. I, I, I just, I began on my own and, and brought together the most sort of interesting minds that I was aware of who were available at any one time, and um, and and that that sort of was the foundation, really. Yeah. Okay, and then just sticking with the past as we've kind of gone there, um, I've never worked in advertising. I've just written about the end result of it a lot. So all of this world is familiar and yet I've never actually experienced it directly. But one thing that um, gets talked about a, a lot of from the kind of period of the 90s, but I would say going back even further into the 80s, uh, is this idea of the creative director being kind of a, a slightly godlike figure who um, sits in their own office and terrifies all the teams below them <laughs> who go in to show their work and get it thrown back in their faces and then they work harder. But the and the impression I've been sort of given at times is that this, while unpleasant, is what creates the great work that you've seen in the past. I just... I just wonder, I mean, there's names of people I can think of who, who are known for this reputation. And I just, I just wonder how, maybe how true is that? And also, do, does that exist now? Is that sort of rock star figure still part of the industry? Um, Richard, I'll stick with you first, just because we were talking about the past then, but then goes to the others. Well, over the past few years, I've done quite a lot of exploration of um you know the neuroscience of of creativity, and uh, and I, I I think creativity is a state of mind, and a brain in a in a fearful state or an anxious state is is a long way from a brain in a creative state. So, I, I you know I I think it's I think it's a really unfortunate um, stereotype, and it's it's really unfortunate behaviour if 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 that behaviour still kind of exists. So so I think somebody once said, and I thought this is great that. Um, you know, a, a good creative leader is 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 tough on work and kind to people, and um, and for me, I, I I think that's that's a really nice way of putting it. You know, as the creative leader, you have to be you have to be ruthless in 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 pursuing an idea with a single mindedness in in making sure that the work you do feels different and it's it's got a reason for being. But you've got to be able to take people with you on that journey, and you have to support them. And you have to trust and and allow people the space that they need to come up with ideas. So, so I think that sort of that way of thinking about it to me is 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 quite a helpful way for people contemplating creative leadership. Yes, totally, Sarah. Does the the rock star strategist exist? And uh, and do you still see see these figures now, or is that is that something of a stereotype that's gone? 
I will keep this conversation to creatives uh, actually because so so what Richard's saying you know it is is fundamentally true you know a, a nervous system in panic mode in survival mode cannot be generative and creative um so that that is that is a fundamental truism and obviously the answer that I would love to give you here is that yes the old asshole creative director of which I have worked with many god love them that that that's an old fashioned stereotype and that's dead but I want to bring a bit of a nuance to what I'm really living at the moment I think in this conversation and I will just declare you know I I do it primarily in an American context here and I wonder that there might be a brutality potentially to the just because of the sheer scale of the American market but I think I, I think it's probably not that dissimilar in Europe but which is that we need we still the need for absolutely incisive fearless creative leadership is more required, more necessary than ever. And I do slightly feel that, you know, we have slightly lost a bit of a generation of creative leaders during COVID just because the container where you get to learn to really lead and to really hear what a client needs and hear, um, you know, and feel how you you do that very delicate dance between what is creative and what is the client's requirement. Very, very, you know, very skilled dance to be able to do that thing. I, I think that, you know, the container that enables you to learn how to lead that process, you know, it just got shot. You know, we were all in survival mode. We were all scattered to the four corners. And, you know, and a lot of creatives, I do think, went freelance. And and I think what we're feeling now in the industry is, is a slight lack of muscularity, of, of, a, of, a, of a, there's a bit of a dearth of these leaders who can really step forward and lead this process in a muscular way. And I'm, this is not a ding on this cohort. I think it's that it is what happened during COVID. Um, that, you know, we we weren't in the circumstances to be able to do that. So to, to answer your question, yeah, that, you know, I do think that is an old, that the really nasty, horrible bully has got to die, needs to die. But what is emerging now is that we do need muscular, creative leadership, probably of a new generation. I'd love to hear what Rani says about this. Yeah, um, I love the quote that Richard just shared or like um, be tough on the work and kind to the people. So um, that archetype of creative director um, that is, has been celebrated um, in the industry, Josh and I do not subscribe to that. And actually when I look back at observing some creative leaders like that, I actually think that has contributed to some of the mental health issues that we have in the industry and is essentially an abusive environment in which people are required to explore a level of vulnerability and develop some creativity, but it's such a, you know, you're in survival mode, as Sarah said, and it's not a safe dynamic. What we believe at Calling is actually one of the pillars that we've um, built the business on is love. And um, when Josh and I were reflecting on the industry and the type of business we wanted, a lot of the time creative has been made for the industry. Sometimes it can be like a bit of a vanity show, versus for the consumer and it's been driven by this idea around um, competitiveness wanting to get one up on another agency or another brand 
Um, but for us, if we start from a place of love, because um, with competitiveness, you're never satisfied. You go one up, but then you're always trying to go a next one up. You're never satisfied. But if you create from a place of love, that is abundant and that is expansive. And what that means is you're generating from a place of positivity, which is safety. So we create a loving space for our team to explore and self-identify with the work and be vulnerable. But also the output, the produce is love. And that transcends all of us as creators, the brand, the agency, and touches like the consumers and the communities and actually transcends time and space when we no longer exist. So for us, philosophically... Um, because we're a business that's also centered around spirituality and anthropology, like philosophically, we start from a place of love um, and that quickly eradicates those types of um, personas, behaviors, um, archetypes um, existing in our business. And, and I don't have much to say about those that sit in other agencies because that's not my business. You know, I think that's really interesting. Um, just... In sort of practical terms, can you talk a bit more about how you create that um, environment? Just because, uh, I mean, it, so it sounds brilliant, and I, but I always wonder how these things actually are sort of constructed in in sort of real terms. Like, how how do you make that feel? How do you make people feel safe to to share ideas? It definitely start, starts from the top down. So Josh and I. Um, people see that in the partnership in the term in terms of the way that we're super respectful of one another. Um, there's togetherness in the leadership that we have. And I think sometimes in some of these older ad agencies, you see leadership, but it also comes with their own divisions and competitiveness. The other pillar that the business is built upon and value is truth. So we talk about radical honesty and radical acceptance, but always with respect. So I will be honest. But the way that I share the feedback around the work is from a lens of love. So you look at those two values working together and that's where you get to a, a culture, a set of behaviors and rituals that allows um, that to be fruitful. We try to eradicate some of these behaviors that come as a byproduct of just like ad lands and some of those archetypes existing at a leadership level, such as like passive aggressiveness or bias, um, fear, intimidation, manipulation. When you have a business that's built on truth and love, it's hard for those things to exist. No, I totally see that. It sounds really, I mean, it sounds great, to be honest. I'm wondering, Richard, when in a kind of, in your coaching sort of mode, how much do you sort of see the, the way the, the sort of more toxic examples have affected people and do you, do you see things like Rani's example happening very much? Yeah, I I, I I don't I haven't come across too many examples yet of, uh, of 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 what Rani's doing, but it sounds it sounds great. Um, yeah, I, you know the, the the sort of the outcome I sometimes uh, find is is people whose confidence is a bit shot, or who are burnt out, and um, you know two two of the main requirements for um, you know want to feel successful creatively are, are a degree of um of confidence you know um self-doubt never really goes away but too much self-doubt is is paralyzing um uh, so so that that's something that i've I, i've seen also when when where creativity depends upon input you know um and 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 so often when people are overworked it's it's just generating more and more stuff and and, and i sometimes feel like organizations and creative leadership overlook 
the um, the importance of of topping people up with stuff. You know, creating space for people to um, absorb culture and new experiences and, and and all the stuff which ultimately will lead to a greater breadth of ideas. And um, so th- those are two things that that I come across sometimes that I think are a, um, an unfortunate consequence of a of a system that's not working as well as it could. Yeah, completely. And I think that your point there uh, about the amount of things that people are supposed to produce in the time, I mean, everything just seems squeezed. I mean, Sarah, is that something you see? I'm guessing it is something you see, but uh, is that a challenge that you think a lot of leaders are wrestling with, the, just the, uh, the sheer amount of things they need to achieve? I think, I mean, this is the question of our age. I think that's probably the conversation that I have with most of my clients most days in some form or of another, another, which is what I'm being asked to do is impossible. There is no way through it. There, There is so much, you know, I've been asked to do so much more and I'm being asked to cut my team. Um, and it's absolutely overwhelming. And I think, you know, th- I think this is the great challenge of our age. How do I find inner resources? How do I dig deep and come from a slightly deeper place in this conversation um, and, actually, and actually meet this with with a sort of a spirit of creativity? So I think that this is, I mean, welcome to 2023, I think, and beyond. This is where we're at. Yeah. So what So what, what do you say when people are saying this? I mean, is I'm, I'm guessing a certain amount of, of your role and... And maybe Richard, you, yours too, to some extent, is a kind of listening role that you're allowing people to share these these feelings. But but do you have sort of strategies that you can advise creative leaders to try to in order to to not? Because I'm guessing some of the toxic behaviour that we've talked about, just to to maybe introduce a tiny bit of sympathy, comes from people being under such a lot of pressure themselves, and that they pass that on. It really does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the lens through which I see all of this is that um, human beings were built for complexity. If you think about the way that humanity exists throughout the world and all the different circumstances that humans survive in, we're so adaptable and so creative. And there is always more. We always have more resources in any moment than we're using in that in that moment but we do have to breathe and stop and 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 find that deeper place in ourselves so so ultimately i mean that is what i'm doing with people um what more is there and and this isn't about doing more this is not about trying harder it's in a, many cases it's about doing less what can i let go of what am i resisting here what what is what is the bigger context that is going to guide me through this? Yeah, no, totally. There's it's sort of what it sounds like you're saying is about sort of kind of prioritizing, but also just allowing the time to step back and and actually think potentially. Yes, I'm sure Richard will have a perspective on that. Yeah, I, I, one one thing that I I often do uh, with people that I'm working with that I, f- I find a really good exercise is to ask them to uh, to collect. Um, five or ten pieces of work that they've not made that they 
they really like or or are inspired by and, the, and these needn't necessarily be you know advertising or design they could be um you know they could be art or movies or books or this kind of thing and and, and it forces them to look outwards out of the sort of uh, the the narrow uh, parallel lines of, of of their day job and and then, and then in deconstructing that work and, and really thinking about why it resonates with them often you arrive at a kind of personal creative manifesto you know a series of of creative values which can be used in the workplace but are aligned with who they are as human beings and i i think that's quite um quite a healthy thing for for everybody to do now and again really just just to stop and and, and look above the parapet and try and deconstruct the work that is meaningful to them, understand why, and then think about how that can then be applied in 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 the day job. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It's sort of almost finding their own unique creative philosophy or something. Would that would be that? Yeah, yeah, and so so it's it's recognizing everybody's individual, you know, individual experience and nature and and and, and valuing that. So they're not sort of just you know tools. As part cogs as part of the machine that can be replaced, but but it, it's very much grounded in their own sort of center of gravity, if you like. Yeah, no, totally, Rani. I'm interested to hear your experience of this because I I haven't set up my own business, but I can only imagine that the first year of that is insanely intense in terms of juggling so many things at once, and and then obviously being a leader. And it sounds like you you and Josh have talked about that a lot from the leadership perspective, but how are you managing that, um, the juggle and allowing that time to reflect? Are you, are you able to make space for that? Yeah, so Josh and I, we've been, uh, we launched Call-In in January, so we're um, 10 months now, but everything that we did from the beginning was intentional. So um, we have an exec coach and we have coaching sessions once a month together. So I guess that is a, I guess, a therapeutic space to have time to pause and reflect. We're a very introspective business and we're very, we try our best to constantly be present and have a level of self-awareness. Um, but we also weekly, I, I guess, leadership teams get into this habit of having these sort of leadership meetings and they talk about the stuff, the hygiene of running a business we have that at the beginning of the week, but midweek we have what we call is our wellness check-in. So Josh and I do not talk about the practicalities of running the business like pipeline or make sure you email that client or did so-and-so's holiday get booked in. It's actually a wellness moment to check in and look at the overall wellness of ourselves individually as leaders, but also assess the wellness of the team and then the wellness of our clients. But it's through a perspective of wellness versus um that sort of like practical, tangible um, day-to-day stuff because you can get lost in that and not take your head up, like bring your head up for air and actually look at the bigger picture. I hope that answered the question. No, it does. I think it's really interesting. I mean, what you were saying, especially about having your own kind of coaches this early in the business, because I feel... Um, and, and Rich and Sarah, you will obviously have a view on this because you're very experienced in it um, from the other side. But I feel that sometimes people would go to that um, when things aren't working rather than see that yeah. as a, a thing to have at the start. 
Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting to 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 um, I've put that right in at the beginning um, as the foundation, and um, yeah, I, I I'll be fascinated to watch how it evolves. <laughs> and I just also want to talk now about sort of the different um, sort of types of people who are in the industry now. I mean. I'm going to throw another stereotype into the mix to see see if it's true or not. It's one of the kind of things that um, is said, and we we actually did a different podcast episode about Gen Z um, in particular. But that there are different attitudes towards work. This is the big Gen Z cliche, and that there is less of a tolerance for work to be the be all and end all. I suppose. Um, and I wondered what challenges that throws up for creative leaders. Uh, Sarah, is this something that you've had conversations about with the people that you're you're working with? That are they are they seeing differences in in um, creatives, younger creatives now, or or is it a short cliche? I said across the board. I mean, there there is a new generation coming in. I mean, I'm actually fascinated to hear what Ronnie's got to say about this because I, I I mean, I'm just sort of absorbing the enormity of what you you just described about the business that you've built. And as Richard said, like to bring coaching to or to bring you know conscious conversation right as a foundational part of a business. I I think is so fascinating. But I I think what you're describing is the way that we're gonna include this new generation um, so I'd, I mean I'm just fascinated to hear you talk more about that yeah okay um I spent the sort of last five years of my um career before launching call in with Josh actually working a lot with Gen Z teams but also marketing to Gen Z and to youth youth marketing and social impact so I I guess I have a a very specific lens on it and understanding um our team is, um, the age range of our team is 19 to 50. We're really proud to have a diverse team. Um, we're diverse in terms of gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and, and neurodivergence. Um, but for us, we're co- we, we, Josh and I believe that the older generation are really important and valuable to our industry but we need to continue to invite the younger generation because in the in the difference of that is where the innovation happens because you get to an interesting place of discourse, which is a separate conversation. But how do we um, design a business that includes all those generations? So there's about three generations under one studio currently at Call-In. And um, I, a lot of it is listening and observing other pe- their lifestyles. Um, we have we are super conscious so um we are constantly having conscious conversations around our table as a team as a team and we unlike older ad agencies we don't believe that work is everything we believe that work is part of our individual call-in and when we're interviewing individuals we actually ask them what is their call-in and we don't mean in the industry. We want to know why. Why are you here? What, what? What is? What do you believe your contribution is to humanity? That way, we get to understand who they are as people, not just as people coming to do the strategy role or the creative role. And I think that's really important. Um, because of that, we work with respect for boundaries. So, an example of one of the policies that I have in the team is that um, communication happens between. 8 a.m. and 8.30. So that means you can send an email, you can WhatsApp, 
And this is something we talk to our clients about between those hours, right? You can make phone calls. If you choose to work in the outside of those hours, then things need to be scheduled. No WhatsApp should be sent. Like we're not chatting in the WhatsApp group past that. And that's like a way that we're, I guess, a younger generation want to work versus the older generations. Um, like the boomers, it was all about work, work, work and be successful. Millennials were constantly trying to prove themselves. Like, and I think what we have with Gen Z is that they're like, I am multifaceted, I am fluid. So my job is one part of my identity, but so is going to you know certain events on the weekend or being part of this community on a Thursday having like a gym group that I'm part of or having my spirituality or my religion is also part of my my family a part of that and we need to really as I guess leaders cognizant of that um so that people can have the best I guess lived experience and work be part of that yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. And I think you definitely speak to what I've heard about what the desire is from that generation. There. It's not a, you know, there's not, it's not a lack of interest in working at all. It's just a, a working in a different way. Um, and Richard, I'm interested to know from your sort of the coaching side and from what you're seeing from the companies that you go into is, is that, does, are you, do you recognize what Rani's saying there in terms of, of what younger generations want but and also I suppose the flip side of that are you hearing that the older leaders are, are struggling with this at all I I, I you know the first thing I, I'd, I'd want to say is, is is that I you know from a creative point of view I, I really validate that approach because I think that allowing people to have um you know diverse strands of interest and activities within within their lives is, is 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 bound to lead to ultimately better creative ideas um and and you know one of the things i, I come across is or have come across in the past is people who've, who've who just um directed their creativity at the day job and it's left them feeling quite hollow and empty you know particularly after a, a bad run on a difficult project with with difficult clients um, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think, I think there is a, a, a wider awareness of um, of some of the things that we're talking about. But I think, in practice, organisations move really quite slowly. And um, and I, you know, I, I think I, I hear the right things, um, and I'm starting to see them. But I, I, I think there's still more to be done. Yeah, I think so, and I think it is interesting. And maybe important to point out that, I mean, Rani, in a way, it, it really sounds like you're making a very conscious and thoughtful approach to starting. I wonder how easy it is if you're within an organization, especially if if that's a large organization that's maybe existed for a long time. Like how, how easy is it to turn a ship around or to change a direction when... Uh, you're part of a, a something, say something like BBH, Sarah, that's existed for a long, long time before you might be joining. Is there are the opportunities there in, in those organisations to make those changes, or does it entirely depend on the different cultures? I think I would say just say the word leadership here. I mean, so much, so much is possible when leaders commit, and and you know people. People resist change that comes at them in the wrong way. You know, uh, uh, people's 
bodies, I mean, to come back to Richard's original point, people's bodies go into survival mode where there is something coming at them that that they they haven't accepted or understood or that hasn't really landed in the right way. But I do think if you really lead people into new conversations and new ways of being in a way that enrolls them, that brings them into the conversation, um, that meets them exactly where they, they are and gives them the ability to speak to their own experience. A lot is possible, particularly at the moment. I think people are thirsting, thirsting for new ways of doing things. Um, and, you know, that my my favorite quotes, one of Nigel Bogle's quotes, never waste a good crisis. And there are a lot of crises all over. And that does give us the opportunity to do things in a different way. So it's very hard, but but leaders who really want to do this stuff, there is a lot that is possible. Yeah. Ronnie, would you say that in terms of, because um, obviously you're doing your thing and it's growing, um, but would you would you say every you know every company should and could be able to do to do things that way? I think every company should be more conscious and self aware. I think it's really down to them. They can change, like because we're a baby agency in comparison, right, to a lot of these businesses that have been mentioned. And it really comes. They have the resources and they definitely have the capacity. I think what it comes down to is the will. And I think um, it really comes down to the culture that lives within the individual leaders aligning to a, a new type of culture. And I think it's just back to what someone said. It's like people are fearful of change if it's not a, if it's not something they're currently partaking in. So if it's so, the consciousness that Josh and I lead with is because it is part of our individual culture. So, for example. We've been on our own um, journeys around self-identity, meeting ourselves at different stages of our own lived experiences. We've been on our own spiritual journey. Um, neither of us, for example, drink. Um, loads of these things, like we've been, Josh has been in and out of therapy. I'm in therapy. Like we've been on our own journey so that when you see the type of business that we're forming, as if you know us, if you meet us as individuals and then you hear about our business, there's no surprise because I think the businesses that we create and lead are direct mirrors to who we are. So I think the bigger question is if a business, if businesses need to be more conscious, have wellness at the center of it and all these things that we've been talking about, why aren't they happening in these established businesses? Look at the leadership. Yeah, no, I totally see that. Mm, it's interesting. It's really interesting. I mean, would you just to finish? I suppose would you say that the commercial creative industries is a good industry? This is to all of you. Is are a good industry to join? I mean, is this a because Rani, what you're describing? It, it sounds like you're working really hard to make it a good environment for your staff. But do you think, as a general rule, there it's a good space to be in? I'll, I'll come to you first, Rani, as I just mentioned you. Then I think the sector is. Um... A beautiful and a brutal space to be in. It's incredible, beautiful. It's really beautiful because we get to essentially develop ideas in our minds and allow them to manifest in front of our eyes. And not everyone gets to do that as part of a day job. And that is such a blessing and that is such a privilege. And we get paid very fairly for it. And we get lots of perks and benefits and security as a result of that. I think it's brutal because 
um, the environments that we're being forced to work in, because it is a commercially led business, it requires a level of performance. And then there's lots of egos and there's a lot of like hurt people running these businesses. Um, that's where it can be very brutal. The the working hours and the conditions mentally can can be really, really painful. And a lot of people leave the industry quite damaged. Um, I think, yeah, so that that's my response on it. I think more and more businesses are trying to put wellness at the center. Um, but I think there's a journey to go on making it a much safer place than what it is for people to join and thrive. Yeah, no, that really rings true to me. Richard, does it does it sound right to you? Yeah, absolutely. I I I would echo that. You know, I I think it can be brilliant if you're um, you know, if if you're working with with people you like and 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 respect um, on brands who you believe in, who are who are trying to make a positive difference to the world, then 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 yeah, it can be great. But if you are um, somebody who's whose reserves of creativity are being sort of um, vampirically <laughs> sucked up by an organisation who are, are purely interested in the bottom line and have no concern for for you um, as an individual, then, then you know it, 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 it can be um, it can be really terrible. So um, yeah, you know, I I, I guess it's about. Um, you know, for people who are listening to be to be mindful of 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 how and where they choose to work, but more importantly, I guess, given the topic, for creative leaders to try and create an environment that is um is 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 rewarding and uh, uh, and is is a bit more of a two way street than 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 perhaps sometimes we've seen in the past. Yeah, totally, Sarah. Over to you to finish. You mentioned at the start that the US can be even more brutal. Um, do you, do you think it, it's a good place for people to go into? Yeah, I mean, I, I I find myself actually slightly paralyzed by this question because I think one of the things that I do, um, which maybe not everyone has this perspective, which is that I do work with people in other industries as well. And so I see deep into the belly of some other beasts too. And it's, you know, again, welcome to 2023, welcome to late stage capitalism, you know, everything i think everywhere we look um it's brutal it's brutal it's faster with fewer people um and there are so many people still that thrive that really thrive and the thing i'll say about creative industries and it's exactly what rani was pointing to is there are some of us on this earth that just want to create we have to create if we are not creating we will die, I mean, you know, without standing to, you know, but we, it will have enormous detrimental effect to our well-being. And to Rani's point, this is an industry where you get to create. Um, and it is it is possible to thrive and it is it is a jungle out there as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, look, I think that's a great summation from all three of you of, of the situation we're all in now so we'll leave it there um huge thanks to you all to rani richard and sarah for joining me today and talking about your experiences i thought it was really interesting and really insightful um and thank you to all our audience for listening as ever um if you did enjoy this episode 
please check out some of our previous podcasts uh, where we discuss everything from salaries to AI. We managed not to talk about AI today, <laughs> which would be an, a whole other aspect onto this this topic. But we'll leave it here. Uh, and if you like the podcast, please do share it with others because it really helps. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you.